From Susan G. Komen, this is Real Pink, a podcast exploring real stories, struggles, and triumphs related to breast cancer. We're taking the conversation from the doctor's office to your living room. When someone has breast cancer, it's scary for them and for you. What can you do to really help? What should you say? Friends and family often have good intentions, but simply don't know what to do. Today's guest found herself being supported by an army of people immediately following her diagnosis, but not in a way that she found particularly helpful. After a friend asked her point blank what it was she did want, she poured onto paper what her and her family really needed from people, and the response was powerful. Here today to tell us about this list and how she got to a place of not only being able to accept help, but being able to give loving direction that helped save her family the most is Julie Hogan. Julie, welcome to the show. Hi, Adam. Thanks for having me. Thanks so uh, much. I'm excited to have you on the show today. This is great. I mean, getting help is, um, this is an important topic because people don't know what to do. They don't know what to say. And getting help is hard. And giving help is hard. And so let, we're going to talk about that. But first, let's start by telling us a little bit about your story. We'd love to know a little bit about you, your breast cancer diagnosis, and just what was going on in your life at that time. Sure. All, all the fun stuff. Um, so breast cancer diagnosis, I was 37. It was Labor Day weekend last summer and I live uh, coastally. I live up, up on the, the coast near Boston and was putting on my bathing suit and felt a barely there bump. So that's important to describe because I think often, you know, you hear the story and it was a lump or something that you would expect. This was totally unexpected tiny little lump, uh, barely there bump under my nipple. Uh, I had breastfed three kids. I had just finished breastfeeding. In fact, my, my two and a half year old. So I thought nothing of it and brought it up as, you know, typically you talk about your body, you talk about things as a mom with your friends and a really good friend of mine, Katie is a nurse. And she said, get that checked out immediately. And if it weren't for my friend, Katie being all over me about getting it checked, I don't know if I ever would. So uh, went and described it, you know, picked up the phone and called my primary care doctor and said, I have a barely there bump. I wouldn't even call it a lump. They weren't concerned even with me sharing that over the phone and told me to just wait until my physical, which wasn't until the end of October. Um, I told my friend that and she said, I don't care. Find someone who will see you. So I ended up at my OB. My OB could barely feel it, but said you could never be sure. Sent me to a breast care center took a while to get things moving just because of how low risk everything seemed. And fast forward through a few more conversations, I had stage three, HER2 positive invasive cancer that had spread to my lymph nodes. Um, so it was a shock, total, total shock. Um, and then went on, you know, for the past year, I, I had uh, 12, 12 weeks of chemo. I had Taxol. Um, I then had a double mastectomy and lymph node removal, wrapped up radiation two weeks ago, and I'm now on um, a chemo regimen that'll take me uh, for 14 cycles into next year um, because I did have some residual disease. So, um, it, you know, even before my diagnosis, and I think this is important to share, I was an active, I'm still active, but an active and otherwise really healthy 37 year old, three young kids. They were eight, six, and three at the time of my diagnosis. I had no other symptoms. Um, and I'm a tech exec. I, I have a career 
Um, I was busy in, in my career. And so it came out of nowhere. I don't have the family history as well. It's another thing to, to yeah. share. Um, so total shock. That's wow. where I was. Complete and total shock. Hmm. All right. So, so you were diagnosed. And as we alluded to in the intro, people started showing up and yep. helping you in a yep. very specific way, but not necessarily way that you wanted. Can you tell me more about that? Yeah. And I'll share with you, Adam, you know, it's interesting as I've shared this story. Um, I got a lot of feedback of how ungrateful I sound and, and I want to put it out there that like, it's okay to tell people what you need and what you want in my career and in my life, I make a living by offering direction Mm -hmm. and, and offering clarity. And in this moment in my life, I was going to continue to operate that way. And, and so, you know, I I think it, it, it can happen where when you feel like you are offering direction, um, maybe you sound ungrateful maybe you sound bossy my feedback to other people is like good that, yeah. that's okay that's because fine in, in, in my world um at the moment of diagnosis um as people do and as i had done with with friends and family who had gone through you know traumatic moments in their life you show up and what do you show up with usually food and you know for my family we were just figuring out and and, and we had no idea what to expect but often when you're initially diagnosed takes a few weeks to figure out what's next. And so as people we loved were coming to us in the ways they knew how, you know, bringing food and showing up, it was creating disruption in our home. You know, my young kids who we had not yet told because we didn't have the right information to to share with them, they were like, why are people showing up at the house? What? Why does everybody look so scared and sad? So we really needed to sort of put direction out there. To, to the people in our life. And, and I share, I share this too. Um, you know, it's not that we weren't grateful. It's that it wasn't what our family needed. And so my husband and I really sat down and we're like, you know, we have so many, we're so fortunate. We have so many people in our life who want to help us and want to be there for us. What do we need? And, and we ended up, as you mentioned in the intro, coming up with a list of, of not only what we needed, but what we didn't need to give some of that direction. Mm. I mean, that's, uh, that's so important because I feel like otherwise, I mean, nobody wants to do something nice for someone else that the other person's not going to really appreciate. Like, you don't want to spend your time, totally. you know, laboring over a meal that they're not going to eat. Totally. Or, I mean, like, it doesn't make any sense to do that. So why not just share with them, like, exactly what, what you, you need, need? And that way they can provide that. So, all right. So, so let's talk about that then. So, yeah. so how, how did you handle it? Um, like, what was, what was that like? Like, walk us through it. Yeah. So it's interesting because the first, and and other people may relate, you're sort of in this fog, right? You've been diagnosed with cancer. And in my case, you've been diagnosed with aggressive cancer. And we were in this period where we weren't sure if this was treatable versus curable. We didn't know what the next steps were going to be. We had not yet told our kids because we didn't know what to tell them. Um, We didn't have all the information. And so people started reaching out and saying, you know, who's in charge of your meal train? Who's, and I was like, oh, I guess we have to do a meal train. That's that's what you do. You know, who's in charge of taking you to appointments? And I was Mm. like, I guess, I guess we need to get people to sign up to take us to do this stuff. And, and it was first a moment of pause and say, and saying to ourselves, uh, you know, my husband, Dave and I, as a couple, like, we don't have to do what we think we have to do. Like, Mm. and he looked at me and he was like, I don't know if I want a meal train. Does that sound ungrateful? I was like, no, you're being honest. Thank yeah. you. 
And I said, I don't know if I want someone else taking me to my treatments. I, I want to be with you. And, and it was a, a moment where I think you lose so much control in a diagnosis like this. We were mm-hmm. finally starting to get a little bit back. And so we sat down and really put to paper first what we didn't need. And, and there were three very specific things. For us, it, it was food. And I recognize that this isn't everybody else's scenario. Right. And our yeah. scenario, particularly too, is you know, my career prior to my diagnosis, mealtime was really important to us. And my husband and I have a really great routine around cooking and sharing that experience together and with our kids. And for the time being, you know, I didn't know how long I was going to feel able to do that. I right. didn't want that to go away. And so we didn't need the food right now. Right. Um, so that was one. Like we, we recognized there was probably going to be a time, particularly as chemo, you know, revved up as I had my surgeries, we would need that help. And we did, you know, yeah. eventually. But in yeah. those moments, we were grateful, but we didn't need it now. The right. second thing we didn't need, uh, I mentioned this already, were rides. So grateful. And again, not every scenario is the same, but in our world, our kids were in school, we would be able to go in and out of a cancer clinic together and we wanted to be together. And that was sort of a personal journey the two of us wanted to have Mm -hmm. with each other. So we wanted to put it out there that like we're grateful for the offer, but we don't need rides. And the third thing, and I think this is really common too, and something I, I wasn't necessarily ready for, and I think this was the hardest one to say no to, were the introductions. And, and so uh, I sometimes share uh, the joke, you know, being from the Boston area, everyone has like a brother's, cousin's, friend's, sister's, you know, friend from high school who had breast cancer. Mm. You know, jokingly, I'll say it sounds like every Saturday Night Live episode of someone from Boston, you know, right. someone who knows someone. And at first I, I said yes to every introduction. And I soon realized, uh, you know, my, my own um, sort of naive mindset around breast cancer, how many different types there were, mm-hmm. how many different journeys there could be. And I wasn't yet grounded in what mine would be. And it was so overwhelming um, yeah. to talk to all these people who had had all these different things, who had all this different advice. And I didn't even know what my journey was going to look like. So I finally had to say, you know, I am beyond grateful for all of these people who are willing to pour their stories and share their stories um, out to, to help me feel better about my own, but I'm not ready. I, I'm mm. not ready for those introductions or those conversations. Yeah. I mean, that would be so exhausting. Like just exhausting. It is. It is. And, and Adam, it's all with the best of intentions. Well, and, yeah. And it's interesting, you know, now I am the, the friend who has cancer, right? So I, you know, I'm not the only person on earth who has had this diagnosis or will have it. So I've had other people in my life reach out when someone is newly diagnosed and say, Hey, w- would you talk to them? And my feedback has been only if they're ready. Like I am more than happy to talk to anyone. And even, you know, very recently I, I hopped on the phone with someone who was about to have the same surgery. And I said, before we even chat, you can hang up on me and you won't offend me. Because I know you you are in a place right now where everything's trying to make sense uh, and you're trying to make sense of everything. And and you don't have to talk to me right now. I'm here for you, um, but do not feel like you have to do this courtesy <laughs> conversation um, if it's not what you need right now. So I, I think that's also always with the best of intentions, uh, you know, come the introductions, but you don't have to receive them at, at that time. 
So, all right. So, so you, you came up with the list uh, specifically that you, you didn't want. Yep. The, d- like, the don't want to have. Yeah. What, like what happened next and how did, like, how did you communicate all this? And like, yeah. like walk, like walk me through all that. Cause that, yeah, that's yeah, gotta yeah. be a, a very nuanced approach. It is. It is. Because I also think particularly, you know, women my age are sort of it's ingrained in you to be gracious mm-hmm. and be grateful yeah. and, and accept yeah. help wherever it comes. I literally pulled a form that I had used for something I'd used at work to, to put instructions together for something. And I said, I'm, I'm going to do the same for my family. Mm-hmm. And so included in the things we didn't want, above that were the three things we landed on knowing that we did want that okay. would really help us and be supportive to us. So the first was the support of our kids, which mm-hmm. may seem sort of like, of course, support your kids. But for us, you know, if we had to get really specific about what that meant, it meant using our language and matching our tone. Mm-hmm. And what I, what I wanted to ensure was protected and maintained in our home was that we were on a path to healing. And we also wanted to ensure when people came in, there suddenly wasn't this tone shift of, you know, life is happy outside, but then in this house, she has cancer and Mm. we can't be happy and life can no longer be light. And I think you have Mm. to give permission to continue to treat you the same way when you have a diagnosis like mine, because it does change. You know, people talk to you differently. But I think, you know, you, you see the Hollywood dramatized version mm-hmm. of what someone with breast cancer acts like and looks like and seems mm-hmm. like, and you need to present in the way you want to be treated. So I'll get, mm-hmm. I'll get more into that, but we give real specifics and I actually put slides together for, for how we were talking about my cancer with our family and the tone in our house. I um, love that. Put slides. Yeah. Oh. So we'll, we'll go into it. Because that's, you know, I think about my career, like, that's what I do for a living. I present yeah. a board meeting, yeah. you build a deck, and yeah. you present a storyline. This is and it, so, yeah. So we did the same thing. It's like a little this, miniature training. Like, you want to help? Great. Here's the training. Yes. Go. Here's like, what we need. Here's the next step. Exactly. The second thing we asked for were walking buddies. Um, mm. One of the things I really wanted to maintain was my my health is is sort of strange as that sounds even though i'm going through this this really challenging health crisis mm-hmm. i wanted to stay active i'm an active person i live outdoors as much as i can we live near the beach so i said sign up to be a beach walk buddy dm mm-hmm. me on instagram text me call me let me know when you're around and come take me for a walk yeah and that helped our family in two ways my husband and i spent a lot of time together through covid and now again through cancer and yeah. You know, he needs, he needs a break as a caregiver. Um, so, so that was really helpful and also just unlocked this really amazing opportunity to connect with people in my life in different ways who Mm. maybe didn't know how to help me or didn't even think that, you know, going for a walk was going to be an option given, you know, my diagnosis and what was happening. So beach walk buddies was huge and we turned it into a whole thing where, you know, Two or three times a week, I was going out for a walk with someone from my life who was coming to spend time with me and see me. Mm. Um, and then the third was music. So I, I talked a little bit about the vibe in our home. And, you know, we're a family where music is constantly playing. And we actually came up with a Spotify channel. And we named my cancer Barb because it looked like a barbell, like a little barbell in my boob. So we named my cancer Barb. And a friend of mine came up with a tagline, Buzz Off Barb. So we made a buzz off Barb playlist and said, what could be really helpful is if you add songs to the playlist. And I would put my these headphones in, 
uh, underneath my pole cap when I got treatments. And as many other people listening probably have experienced, uh, you know, I was on the liquid Benadryl. So you get that and you start to go a bit into sleepy time. And I would listen to music and I'd see who was who the song was posted from. And it gave me a really sort of nice moment to look forward to each mm. time I had treatment of listening to songs that friends had put up and knowing who they were from. And then as I recovered from surgery, going through physical therapy for cording and other things to get my strength back, I would blast that music as I was mm. exercising. So that, that's been a, an unexpected gift that we never would have received if we only said, you know, keep the casseroles coming. Yeah. So, right, so I got to ask them, like, is there like an obscure, like what's the most odd song or interesting song that got added to your playlist? Was there like just one in particular or what? Yeah. Um, so my brother, who is super creative, wrote a song called Buzz Off Barb. That was a surprise to me for Christmas that he put on. Um, I'll share the link so other people could listen to it. Okay, um, okay. So a uh, sort of original song that kind of pokes fun at me. Mm. If, if you can imagine it, you know, it's not, mm. I think one would imagine a song about, you know, your older sister having breast cancer would be sad. Um, but this actually kind of pokes fun at like, hey, what did you get for Christmas? You got breast cancer. And so using humor was was really, you know, a, a, another gift did, during, did your, during this whole thing. Did your brother tell you he was doing this or did you just like show up on your playlist one day and you're like, what is happening right he now? He told me he had a gift for me. Okay. And that was the gift. That was, <laughs> that was the gift. Oh, what a great gift. It was hysterical and it was so great. So I'll, um, if we can make it available, I'll share the playlist and the song. It's called Buzz Off Bar. Yeah. I yeah. And what's okay. great too, you know, we're all from the Boston area. So yeah. Barb sounds more like Bob yeah, um, yeah. in the song. I love it. I love it. All right. So, so you mentioned a couple of times, uh, the, the tone that yeah. you used in your home with your kids and sort of the language that you used around your kids. Um, I wonder, like, could you talk a little bit more about what, what that tone was and specifically what language you used and how that, how that helped them? Yeah. So going back to what we didn't want and what mm. we wanted, we, we started sort of story mapping what, what we wanted this, this conversation to look like. And I first landed on, you know, the outcome of this conversation, because ultimately you do have to sit down and tell your children, you know, arguably one of the worst conversations in your life, what didn't I want? And, and what I, I shared was like, you know, what I don't want, and I don't know if this is even a possibility to avoid, but I don't want the dramatic movie scene where children are sitting around a table, eating dinner, you hear the knives and forks on the plates. We've all seen that movie. And suddenly the parent says, kids, I have to tell you something. Mm. And then boom, drop, you know, there, there comes this, you know, life-changing, horrible thing. And what I also didn't want is the burden of fear passed on to them in the same way it was boiling through my husband and I. And yeah. so as parents of kids who were eight, six, and three, I felt really strongly it was our responsibility to use language that allowed them to have the tools they needed to talk about it yeah. in a way that that felt right. And I, I leaned heavily into you know what I do for a living. And you know when you present a, a board deck or a revenue deck, you don't tell the whole story. You also do not not tell the truth, right? Mm. So I think that's really important, right? We're not. Yeah obfuscating information. We're not trying to paint a rosy picture. We're trying to give information that's going to help your audience best understand what's going on. And so yeah. 
you know, trying to lean into that. It's like, if I were presenting what was going on, am I going to go all the way into the details of like all of my scans and all of the what if scenarios? That's not appropriate um, for right now. And the other thing too, is like my husband and I talked a little bit about like, what is our relationship as a family with with Mm. the word cancer and Mm. cancer? Because a lot of people I had sort of leaned into for advice had said, well, kids their age don't understand cancer. So it, it won't be scary to them. And in, in our world, unfortunately, my my college roommate had passed away at the age of 30 from brain mm, cancer. And yeah. they knew what cancer was yeah, and, and in right. fact understood the 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 sort of correlation between cancer and and death. Mm. And so for them, that word carries a lot. And so the the other thing was understanding, you know, where our kids' minds were at. And my mm-hmm. eight-year-old is very much into graphic novels, um, you know, Diary of a Wimpy Kid and books that are sort of like comic book-esque. And so yeah. I, I sort again, storyboarding a little bit, I said, you know, this is a story, this is a storyline and I'm going to tell the story the way I want to. And yeah. so we, we sort of rolled with that idea of the nickname we had given my cancer of Barb. Right. And turned Barb into the villain. If you ever, you know, you sort of think about the foundation of any storyline, there is the villain and then there's the hero. And mm. so once we had the facts, this was another point for us. We were not going to tell any story until we knew the facts. Was this right. curable versus treatable? What would my plan be? Would I have an opportunity to keep my hair? You know, all of those were going to feed into how we told the story. Because uh, so many so many pieces of literature out there about your parents having cancer shows like a very sick person without hair. Yeah, and I didn't want to paint a picture of something we didn't know if that right. was going to be what I looked like. And yeah. so, um, where we landed was creating these these characters. So Barb was the villain, and Barb was a boob eating beast that was in my boob that needed to go away. And we knew that I was going to be on a clinical trial uh, with the acronym Margo. So Margo was the superhero. And so Margo medicine was something I was going to get through this new device I had had implanted called a port. And we actually showed, I can share with you some of the images of this. We showed the visual of Margo medicine going into the port to then blast Barb out of my boob. Right. And I was going to go into Boston to get my Margo medicine for 12 weeks. And the goal was to make sure Barb shrunk. Um, And that truly was the goal. The goal of this clinical trial was let's shrink the cancer as much as possible, as well as the friends Barb had made under mom's armpits. So Mm. my cancer, which is spread to my, my lymph nodes, that's how we described it. Then mom would need to get surgery to get rid of anything that was left over to make sure Barb never came back. Mm. And then after surgery, I was getting laser beams to really make sure she never came back and to burn her house down and the little houses that had been built where her friends were. So this was told through um, sort of comic book style slides. And our kids are also super into animals, as I think a lot of kids are, and snakes and venom. And so just like anti-venom, has really good qualities in that it'll save your life. There are some some side effects that can happen when you, when you get antivenom, and um, we talked about that as the analogy for you know this Margot medicine. While it's doing its job, it could have some side effects. Meaning, I could be really mm. tired. I could feel kind of icky. I could lose my hair. 
Uh, but yeah. we weren't sure and we just didn't know. And what's funny, a quick aside on that, in the imagery I used, I showed a, a sort of smiley face with blue hair and shared with my kids, you know, my hair may be sensitive, meaning it might hurt or it might fall out. And yeah. two weeks after getting my Margo, my three-year-old was like, mom, why hasn't your hair turned blue yet? Like the picture you showed me. So that just shows how like literal kids are. Yeah. Um, yeah. But those became the slides, you know, in a nutshell, mm. the, that storyline became the storyline of how we were talking about it. And, you know, one thing, you know, you'll notice in my language, what we didn't say is mom is very sick and mom has cancer. We, my son asked, he said, is this cancer? And I said, yes. And he said, oh, okay. And I shared with him, you know, a lot of women have cancers like Barb and get treatment for it like mom is and end up perfectly fine and healthy. And that truly is the prognosis that was shared with me, with my doctors, with my team. And so that's, um, that's what we shared back with our kids. I did not talk about death. And should that question arise from my children, the, the conversation my husband and, ha- and I have had is, you know, if they do ask, like, mom, could you die? My answer truly, honestly, and I, sh- you know, my answer to you, Adam, to that question is, I don't think so. And I hope not. I don't plan to. And that's the yeah. truth. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's, I, I love that approach, you know, and, it, and in particular, like that, that idea of share the story that, and, and the parts that need to be shared for them to be able to process in the way that they need to process without necessarily oversharing, you know, like you don't necessarily have to share to overshare per per se, or even share in your own fears necessarily. Right. Um, And I think think sometimes as parents, we sort of lean on to that. Like we just have to tell them everything and and just kind of dump it all. And maybe, maybe we don't need to do that. It seems, it seems wise to, to withhold some of that. So and, um, and I'll share too, even in, in this, I almost found I probably shared more than I would have. And because we were sharing it in a way that they were able to understand and digest. Yeah, so yeah. I, I, again, in no way was I keeping information from them, right, but I'm sharing right. information in a way that was easier for them to process and also ask questions about and talk about. And what was interesting, my eight-year-old was like, can I, can I see Barb? And, you know, he, he, I breastfed him, all three of my kids pretty long, but I was like, oh, he's eight. I don't know if I'm going to show him what's going on. But I said, you know what? I will ask the doctor the next time I'm there to print me a picture mm. of the sonogram yeah. we had and right. circle for you what Barb looks like. So I, right. you know, asked the doctor and I'd say, you know, this is a piece of advice for anyone. You know, get, get your kids appropriately involved and just mm. ask, you know. So I asked wow. and I said, listen, I would like a, a photo that I can share with my son. And so he saw it. It was like, oh, wow, that's like, that's, that does look like a barbell and I can see it. So the science of it was somewhat interesting to him. He also was curious, you know, when, when I had my surgery, what they would do with Barb and could I take her home in a jar? And I was like, oh, you know, I actually would like to do that too. And we were fortunate enough that the clinical trial had worked enough that Barb had shrunk so much. There was nothing to see. So, you know, there was nothing there. The, the somewhat unfortunate piece was I had some microscopic residual cancer in my lymph nodes, which is mm-hmm. why I'm, you know, back back on some additional chemo. Um, and then even sharing that with my kids, you know, we continued the storyline, um, yeah. the authentic, truthful storyline of like, hey, there's this one little bit of the house that was made under mom's armpits that we just need to make extra sure goes away and never comes back. So yeah. we're getting some more, some more medicine. 
I love that. That's so great. That's so great. Thank so, you. so, so not everybody um, is, 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 it's not as easy for everybody to be as sort of forthcoming, I think, as you oh. are with people in their lives. So, so what advice do you have for our listeners on, on how to dial into what it is they really need while they're undergoing treatment? Um, I feel like you've done an amazing job of this um, as someone that's been overwhelmed and sort of dealt with that. So do you have any sort of tangible advice on sort of how they can get started with this process? Yeah. And, and again, like I'm just figuring this out. I had no intention going into it. The way I did this truly was I sat down and wrote a list and, and I operate really well. And I think people in general do in, in buckets of three, like no more than three. Can you sit down with a piece of paper? Like it does not have to be fancy. You do not need a PowerPoint or Excel, get a piece of paper and a pencil and write down like, what are the three things in this moment you really need like what do, and like if you have to be really honest with yourself like what do you really need and what are the three things you really don't or or do not want and i think you might surprise yourself like even for me i don't yeah. know if i would have landed on you know i really want music but and i had to explore that a little bit because my reaction too and this others may feel the same way my initial reaction and, and i think maybe this is defense sort of dealing with what's happening was like i don't need anything i'm fine I need people to leave me alone. I need a cocoon around my family and I want yeah. everyone to go away. Right. right. Like, right. so you have, to, I think this is helpful in working through that where being very honest with yourself that people want to help you. This is a time in your life where you need help, but you can have it on your terms. Help doesn't have to be casseroles. It doesn't have to be. If you, and here's the thing, if you want it to be casseroles, that's fine. Ask for that. If you feel like crap and you want someone bringing you cookies, say that. Say that now more than ever is your opportunity to tell people what you really need. And I think in some way it's empowering. You will get some of your power back from, you know, so much of it that is taken from you in this disease by simply listing for yourself with people who are ready to show up for you. How do you need them to show up? And what are the tactical explicit things you can put to paper? So, so let me ask one final question about this because there, there yeah. may, because I, I, I can imagine there's somebody listening and they're like, okay, I can do that. I can make a list of things I want. I yeah. can make a list of things I don't want. And, and, but I can imagine them being fearful about how people will respond. And so yeah. can you talk a little bit about like, how did people respond when you said no casseroles, but here's what I do need? Like, like how did that work? How did that go for you? Yeah. So listen, you, you get some of the, hmm, and you get some of the, um, you know, particularly too, depending on your family dynamic. You know, I grew up in a Italian Irish family were like, food is everything. You mm. show up with food. That's mm. what you do. You okay. feed people. And and you may have some people, this happened to me, say, Well, no, I, I know you think that, but you real you really are gonna need this. I'm gonna mm. bring it to your house. <laughs> okay. So so it's okay. Like yeah. some people are going and, and the reason that happens, what I realized is like it is very uncomfortable for mm. for people to be told what to do. Yeah. However, people often will surprise you with how much they like direction. And yeah. a couple of examples outside of cancer <laughs> that I'll give, when you go to a wedding and there are table assignments, people are happy to not have to think. They're like, I just get to sit here. That's great. I don't have to worry about who I'm sitting next to. When you get a list of things that people want for their wedding, for their baby shower, you are like, great. This is what they need. I'm going to buy that. Right. Why does that have to end mm. when someone is sick? Or That's when right. someone is at this moment of need. So That's right. I, I would say your own hesitation perhaps is just because of your own blockage around it. Or if, if you've not experienced it before, and perhaps 
the the fact that like there probably are going to be people in your life who are offended by it and like mm-hmm. you kind of have to just accept that that that's yeah. okay but you know I, I would just i would challenge people to think through you know all these other moments in our life the good moments in our life where we offer direction and say yeah, right you know we need these things and yeah. and to be clear too this is not, we're not asking people for you know vacuums and china you know like no. you are at a wedding this is yeah. like could you please put songs on a playlist for me? Yeah, That's what I need yeah, in this moment yeah. where, you know, I'm facing like people will respond, I think mm. perhaps better, better than you think they would. All right. So, so then last question, and I, I promise I'll let you go. Do you currently have any casseroles in your freezer that were delivered <laughs> to you? By ask <laughs> I have, sorry, mom, if you're listening, my mom made me an eggplant that is still in my freezer. Mm-hmm. Okay. It is, it is, it is. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well, um, I had I had to ask. Sorry, mom. Uh, it's but okay. uh, it's okay. you meant well. It, it's it's, it's good. Okay. So, it's well, okay. Julie, uh, li- genuinely, your story is inspiring. Your approach you. uh, is just very refreshing, and, and and I find it very encouraging. And I think our listeners will as well. Uh, thank you. Just thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Thanks for having me. And if if I could offer maybe one parting comment yeah, as well, do. um, you know, one one thing I think the lesson I've taken from all of this is the importance of action. And so something I've recently launched that I'd love listeners to, to check out is something I've started um, because of how I found my cancer. I found my cancer putting on my bathing suit and squeezing my boobs. And I use that language very explicitly because women my age, that's how we talk. Um, we're comfortable with our breasts. We call them boobs. We squeeze them. I was putting my boobs into my bathing suit and felt that barely there bump. So I launched something called seasonforsqueezing.org. We're at season for squeezing on Instagram. And our message is for women to give themselves a squeeze every time they suit up in their swimwear this summer. So I know much of breast cancer awareness is in October. For women my age, that's sweater season. When our boobs are out, (laughs) when we're out with our kids, let's use this season of summer to give ourselves a squeeze. And we have a mission of getting swimwear call to action tags uh, Mm. out into the market. So I'd love for people, you know, if you take anything away from today's conversation, it's, it's the message of action, like take action, be an advocate for yourself. For me, it was not, you know, one of the, you know, 15 descriptors of what a self breast exam was. It was squeezing and Mm -hmm. finding a barely bare bump. So please squeeze each time you suit up in your swimwear and make the commitment that if you feel anything, be seen before the next time you put your swimwear on. That's right. That's uh, seasonforsqueezing.org. It's an excellent website. So yes. uh, certainly go there. That's great. I love that you're doing that. Well, uh, thanks, Adam. Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing that with us. Of course. Of course. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Real Pink, a weekly podcast by Susan G. Komen. For more episodes, visit realpink.komen.org. And for more on breast cancer, visit komen.org. Make sure to check out at Susan G. Komen on social media. I'm your host, Adam. You can find me on Twitter at AJ Walker or on my blog, adamjwalker.com.